0: King, who is conducting the Houston Chamber Choir this weekend in a concert titled Ancestors Dream here at South Main Baptist Church in Houston. Anthony, welcome. Thank you very much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I want to read a little bit uh, uh, a sense of what the concert is about. Um, When considering music by black composers, our first thought is to turn spirituals, jubilee songs, work songs, and gospel music. Our concert, this concert this weekend, broadens this view by presenting seldom heard works by people such as Nathaniel Det, Harry Burley, Undine Smith-Moore, and others who believe that black composers should embrace the spiritual but never be limited by it. You have curated The repertoire for this concert. Yes. And it includes some of the uh, people like Nathaniel, uh, Harry Burley, uh, who are from several generations ago, let's say. But also a lot of, of music that has been brought to us by people who are very much still alive. And I guess the question, my first question is spirituals. They have been sort of the bedrock of African-American music for hundreds of years. How do we make these traditional songs new?
1: It's a great question, actually. It's, it's how do you keep a body of literature alive um, and relevant to today? Um, and there's a couple things that I think they're, they're, they're represented in this program. One, is to go ahead and actually sing those old arrangements by burleigh. Uh, because I, I find that people aren't necessarily attached to those. Uh, and those were the first kind of iteration in the early 20th century of the spiritual, right? And essentially they were writing 19th century part songs. Uh, and and so that's a, one very specific style or interpretation um, that that is um, has been held through, throughout history. Uh, but the next layer is to, is there is there ways that we can modernize it in the sense, make it fresh or new? Um, you know, the next layer may be Moses Hogan, and Moses Hogan is represented on this program as well. Right. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. Uh, but even people like Stacy Gibbs, who is doing a fantastic job of writing uh, new arrangements of spirituals today. And so um, his work, uh, Rosephanie Powell's work, uh, of just finding, kind of a, a new voice uh, is, is, I think, vital to, to keeping the, the spirit alive. Um, my personal approach to the, like the arrangements that you'll hear on the program tomorrow uh, is to, in one sense, create a, a piece of music that you might have heard if you'd been around in, say, 1820 um, in, in Georgia on a cotton plantation. Um, so try to capture that spirit as well. So both a sense of old and a sense of new. But if you look at what Nathaniel Dett, um, similar to Burleigh's inspiration with Dvorak, uh, he was using the spiritual as source material to create whole motets. And so there's, there's, there's that range of it as well. The last thing I'll say on, on this particular program in particular that I think is uh, important for the audience to know is that composers write other music outside of that as well. So you have the Mar- Marcus Garrett, it is My Heart Be Brave, for example. That piece of music, it's not a spiritual, it's not inspired by a spiritual, but it is a composer who is of African descent writing phenomenal music. Joel Thompson is another person um, that we're representing with his America will be. So it's, to me, it's, it's about showing the entirety of, of what um, composers of African descent have done, particularly those who are connected to this country. In origin, were
0: the spirituals part songs? Did they sing in harmony? Because it would seem to me that if you are bringing these pieces into the 21st century, one of the ways that you can play around with them if you like is is because you've got sopranos, altos, tenors and basses.
1: Yeah, correct. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. The texture was different. So prior to the 18, 1860s, the texture would have been heterophonic. In other words, the, 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 um, the singers would've been singing unison or in octaves. Um, sometimes there's a second part, sometimes there's a third part, but those parts were all related to the, the kind of the unison melodic line. But they were allowed to and encouraged to inflect and create improvisation around that. So you end up with a texture that ends up being quite thick. So if you think about a three-part texture, for example, um, or even a two part texture, but a two part texture in octaves is all of a sudden four parts, and especially if they 're not all like singing exactly the same thing, it can get quite interesting and quite complicated um, very quickly um, and and but yet it it, it would be organic um, and fresh mm-hmm. and you 're going to hear some of that actually on this program where we 're trying to recreate that that texture where it's it 's very um, uh, like I said, kind of this unison, two-part, three-part texture. So there's harmonies. The harmonies are quite simple, but the complexity comes in in the improvisation and how one would inflect on uh, a specific line. So yes, it, and you know, if you look at the the, the writing of of, of Stacy Gibbs, um, it's 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 modern it's modern harmonies that come in. So you can certainly add new harmonies to kind of freshen up, add rhythmic interest. Through, through different syncopations, different ideas, things that were influenced by um, you know, jazz, perhaps, or, or gospel music. So there's lots of ways that you can keep the, the spiritual alive.
0: And you mentioned Stacey Gibbs, and uh, you'll be performing his arrangement of Wade in the Water, which is one of those foundational pieces, yes. isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. I think Wade in the Water, there's a few spirituals on the, on the program that people absolutely can gravitate towards and they know. You know, Wade in the Water is certainly one of them. Uh, My Lord, What a Morning is another. Uh, but there's a lot of spirituals and a lot of pieces that will be new, but yet they'll feel familiar, right? Because the theme is still there, that the, the um, desperation, the means of survival, uh, that is still infused in those pieces. And so that's a... Uh, it'll feel familiar even though they're, they're new pieces.
0: Talking about making these old songs new, um, many of them sort of came back into fashion, so to speak, during the Civil Rights Movement. Yes. And that sort of gave them a renewal. Right. Um, when you arrange some of these traditional songs yourself, how do you approach taking a traditional text and making it new? Because this is sort of the anxiety of influence, isn't it? You you know what they've done in the past, how it's been sung in the past. How do you then make it new? Do you play off of the traditional setting arrangement, etc., or do you come at it from a completely different
1: yeah, I, I try to. I I think <laughs> my approach uh, is off the traditional, uh, and and uh, there's a couple of source materials, uh, books of source materials that I, I kind of turn to um, to learn new spirituals because we're talking hundreds of spirituals, mm-hmm. right, um, six seven hundred that we have um, some record of, uh, including spirituals that are not in English. Um, you know, this Creole language spirituals, yes. uh-huh. which is fascinating to me, and and so. Use, fi- finding the original source material, the primary source material as a as a guide or as a basis for the foundation, uh, and then it 's a matter of playing around with it and, and my personal approach is to not to overcompose it because I think it 's really easy with modern ears and and modern techniques to come in and go let 's make this as complicated as I possibly can but I, th- I think it loses some of its um, its charm and its uh, the original intent, if it's overly complicated, at least from my my particular approach of of, of the spiritual. So I want to I want to provide a balance to, um, you know, the, the work that Moses Hogan has done is just absolutely phenomenal, um, but it can be quite complex. I want to c- provide the balance to that as I'm doing it. And to, to play off of something else that you that you mentioned, that the um, you know spirituals came back during the civil rights movement. You're absolutely right. During the, the the immediately after um, the Civil War, during Reconstruction, mm-hmm. the the spiritual essentially disappeared, and it wasn't until the Fish Jubilee Singers in the 1880s uh, began singing it um, again, 19th century part song arrangements of spirituals, uh, they brought it back and and made it popular again, particularly for for um, uh, HBCUs, so historically back colleges and universities, the Fisks, uh, you know, uh, the, the Singers, Yeah, the, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So th- they, they brought that back, uh, and, 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 and but then it also kind of faded again. But then the civil rights movement during the 40s and 50s and 60s, they came back again. The spiritual essentially is a protest song, mm-hmm. right? It's right. a protest song. So protest music is occasional. It, it, it lasts for as long as it needs to last, and then it goes away. And then when you need another protest, it comes back. So the Civil Rights Movement was a perfect breeding ground uh, for a reinvigoration of of the spiritual.
0: Somebody like uh, Nathaniel Dett, I know he, uh, he studied with Nadia Boulanger Mm -hmm. in Paris in the uh, late 1920s, I believe. So, I mean, he's tied very closely to the European classical tradition as well. But Nadia Boulanger would always tell composers to write what they know, to draw from, you know, the, the culture, the music that surrounds them at home. And Nathaniel Det collected a lot of the spirituals together, didn't he?
1: Yeah, yeah. Nathaniel, I mean, he heard it uh, from his, his, his grandparents and his parents around the house just singing it, right? And this is how many, it's Burleigh, uh, I think it was his grandfather who was a town crier. Yeah. And as he was going around and lamplighter and he was lighting the lamps, little Harry would follow along uh, and he'd be singing spirituals. And so that's his first contact to it. So it's, it's through, through kind of the oral tradition that um, uh, these composers were exposed to it. Even myself, it was through oral tradition. My first exposure was, was in family churches um, in Birmingham, Alabama, in Nashville, Tennessee. So it's that oral tradition. And uh, Nathaniel Dett, when he first started out, he wasn't necessarily like, this is a goal of mine. Uh, but it, eventually, he's like, oh, actually, there is a wealth of, of music here that can be used for source material, that we can create this whole new body of work. Um, that's kind of a national sound, so it's it's, a, it's an embodiment of what Dvorak kind of predicted.
0: The spiritual is, in many respects, a sort of the purest form of black expression. Um, it it came out of the the black churches in you know d- during slavery times, mm-hmm. and it was when slaves. Could be they were free for for that that hour or two on a Sunday, they were free to do to create to worship as they wanted to. Yeah, and so it has these songs have a a pride of place, but it's also songs that that some people would say you can't mess with them.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, I, so. I think you can mess with them, mm-hmm. but you you have to know what you're doing, <laughs> and I think that's where people. Um, I, I can understand the sentiment. In other words, you have to realize that this is the sacred music of the black people of the United States. Right. Um, both sacred, as in you know, it's sacred secular, but also it is such an important piece of of culture that you have to be careful with what you do with it, and you have to understand where it comes from. You have to understand its culture. You have to understand the history of slavery in the, in the United States, and what the Middle Passage was like, um, and, and, and how families were separated from each other uh, consistently. Uh, and you were never around somebody who could speak the same language as you. So you were always stuck in a position where you were, were isolated and alone. This is why family in, in black families today is, is so wildly important, uh, mm-hmm. because for so long you couldn't have a family uh, so, yeah, it's, it, you have to, I think you have to treat it with care and respect. The, 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 I, I think a lot of conductors uh, in particular may get themselves in trouble when, when they don't spend the time to research and understand culturally and the significance of it, when you would with Bach, for example, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The amount of, uh, through music education that we've learned about other composers and other cultures and other, other times, it's, it's rooted into the educational uh, of becoming, you know, a trained quote unquote classical musician. Uh, but spirituals aren't, they're not part of that conversation. So, um, and I think it's, we're doing a disservice not only to the, the material, um, but we're, we're missing an opportunity to create connection with, with ourselves and with our history and with the, the variety of people who, who make up this country. So it's, a, it's an opportunity, I think, for us to, to kind of dig into it. And, and I get it. It's hard because those resources, it's not. if you pick up you know, uh, the, the Grout music history book, <laughs> there's, it's not there. So what are you going to do? Um, right. So that makes it a challenge. and I, I fully understand that, but there's certainly resources that are worth um, exploring.
0: I think one of the things that stands out uh, in musical terms, that stands out about spirituals is the tremendous melodies. Mm -hmm. And we all have to say a very big thank you to Harry Burley because he introduced Dvořák to uh, African-American spirituals and we hear those melodies in in Dvořák's New World Symphony. It's melody isn't it?
1: Yeah, the melodies, I, absolutely, I think that's what captures it, and, and again, if we think about that original heterophonic texture, the melody was the most important thing, right? The harmonies were secondary, and so uh, everybody would know the melodies, and what I loved about it, like m- many other folk songs, right, or yeah, bodies of folk songs, it was, it was perfected over time, you know, someone would sing it, and someone would hear it, and they would then repeat it and they'd make a small change to it and then it would just happened over and over again and eventually you end up with something that is absolutely gorgeous and in almost perfect in every every way um and so to me that is you know one of the the magics um you know even i was flying to to dallas a few weeks ago and i just sat down with a spirituals book on the flight over and i was just reading through stuff and it's just like Uh, That one's really good, this one's really good, and the melodies are absolutely fantastic.
0: Let's talk a little bit about um, Joel Thompson. Yes. Who is um, maybe the youngest of the composers represented on on this program. Um, He was born in 1988, the same year as me. Uh, um, (laughs) But his piece, uh, um, America Will Be, Yes which takes its inspiration, certainly in terms of, of the libretto, from Langston Hughes. Talk a little bit about this piece. It's, it's a fascinating piece. It's not based on a, a traditional spiritual at all. It's, it's completely new.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The only uh, uh, snippet of a quote that's in the piece is America the Beautiful. Um, you kind of hear a snippet of that at the very end of it, but uh, yes, it's a newly composed piece in which there, there are words from the Statue of Liberty um, and, and words from young kids, because he was working with, at, at a high school or work, composing this for a high school, in which the, 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 the singers are like, I dream for, I wish for, and finish that statement. And so, in this piece piece of music, there's Mandarin, there's Vietnamese, there's um, uh, Sinhala, there's uh, Spanish, German. There's a whole slew of languages, which makes it a challenge for us as singers and, right. <laughs> to to kind of get all through those. those but it's it's the America, you know, it's it's the ideal of what America can be. It's just wrapped up in this particular piece of music, which is absolutely um, a wonderful. I mean, he's a fantastic composer.
0: And it's a great way to showcase the talent of of the singers because, you know, the members of the Houston Chamber Choir are are so used to um, wrapping their mouths and their minds around languages that, that they don't ordinarily come across.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, certainly, and it's great to actually mine the, the chorus for well, who's an expert in Mandarin or who has connection to Mandarin, and I bet they never had a chance to bring that into a choral rehearsal before, so that's in Arabic and, and so on, so yeah, absolutely. Also,
0: We Shall Overcome is on the program. I don't want to say that it has to be on every program, <laughs> but it's, uh, it, it is one of the iconic uh, yeah. songs in an arrangement by Robert T. Gibson, who is a Houston native.
1: Yes, yep.
0: And he's still very much alive and with us, isn't yes. he? Yes, and
1: I, I, I think he actually is the youngest one on the program. I think is he, he's, is I think he he's the younger youngest? younger than, than okay. Joel, yes. Um, uh, yeah, I was just texting Robert uh, a few days ago and say, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm doing this with Houston. He was elated. I met Robert um, when I was conducting in Missouri. I was conducting in Missouri Allstate. Uh, he, he teaches at, in Missouri, doesn't he? Uh, not anymore. He's actually doing his graduate graduate work here in, in, in Texas. Oh, okay. So okay. Yeah, he, he he left uh, to do that. But he um, he was a student then, uh, undergrad, and, and came to the rehearsals and was watching. Um, and we were doing a couple of spirituals on that particular program. Um, and afterwards, he came up to me. He said, "That was the first time that I, I saw a choir perform, particularly spirituals, and I didn't see color." And, and that just really hit me, you know. as in, we, we did our job. We, we did something really well, because he felt validated. Um, and I've just been watching him, he's an incredibly talented young, young, young man and, and uh, composer, music educator, um, and you, you'll be hearing and seeing more of him, I'm sure.
0: I do want to point out that some of the uh, arrangers and composers on the program are, are women. Yes, and I think that's uh, um, something that we, we have to acknowledge that the you know it's not just men. Undine Smith Moore. Yes. Talk a little bit about her. She is one of the um, the greats, isn't she, in terms of, of uh, African American composers?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah so Undine Smith Moore is um, people probably know her music. Daniel's servant of the Lord, is the the popular spiritual arrangement that a lot of high schools and colleges. End up doing. Um, I wanted to do something else, so Bound for Canaan's Land. Uh, you know, a, a, a different take uh, on hers. She's a music educator and composer, um, and she was one of those, those women, not unlike Florence Price, but Florence Price certainly was able to to achieve at, at the highest levels, um, not as high as she deserved, but certainly at the highest level. Margaret Bonds as well. Um, and Dean Smith Moore uh, was discouraged. Um, you know, from, from writing uh, because she couldn't see a clear pathway forward mm-hmm. as many yeah. people of color, but particularly women of color, kind of um, were, were up against. Um, you know, it was Florence Price in Kusevitsky famously, you know, uh, you know she, she said that her, her music was too, too light and, and, and almost frivolous. And this is the words from Kusevitsky and, and she couldn't get her music done with the Boston Symphony Orchestra. Um, so it, it took a lot for people to to figure out. Even even um, Berle was discouraged from writing um, you know, large works because he couldn't get them performed. Uh, William Dawson had one symphony that was performed and then because it disappeared, he stopped writing and his symphony is fantastic. So um, particularly, I, I do find it imp- to be very important to, uh, on all programs to make sure that there's representation from a multitude of, of angles, uh, and and so you know women of color I think is really important as well. And the work of Rosephanie Powell, who's living today, um, living in in uh, Alabama, is absolutely a, a wonderful composer and singer, and and conductor, um, and of course Indian Smith Moore, and having her represented on this program was really important to me.
0: One of the uh Interesting composers on the program um, is Adolphus Hailstalk yes. who is still very much alive and, and, and writing. But he's, in some respects, he's a sort of trans- transitional figure, isn't he? Yeah. I think he was born in the early nineteen forties. Um, you've got the, the the Nathaniel Dett's and the Harry Burleighs, and and then you've got yeah, today's Thompson. generation people right. like yourself. Adolphus Hale sort of bridges that gap.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think he's, he's, he's a, another composer who is really prolific. If you look at his catalogue, mm-hmm. he's written a ton of music in every genre. Um, and, and he does. He bridges that gap, right? Uh, he reminds me of you know, William Grant Still, who was incredibly mm-hmm. prolific and wrote in every genre. Um, who preceded him, uh, and but there's this kind of dovetail where he overlaps. So he—that's a great way of describing him—is he's kind of that connected tissue between what was and what is, um, and and certainly again isn't as celebrated as, as I think he should be.
0: And he's another of those composers that studied with Nadia Boulanger yeah. in Paris. Yeah. There, is yeah. a, there is a there is a huge tradition, isn't there, of, of of black composers who have. I mean, Nadia Boulanger was. She inspired, she refined so many of the, of the, the great composers of the, of the 20th century, many of whom were black.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's also the, the you know, for, for many, if you think about even some of the military that went over, they found that things in Europe were, the conditions in Europe were different. So that also is another reason to kind of get out and experience uh, a, different, a different area and, and to see how culturally they could kind of be a little more free. Um, and allow them to kind of explore themselves in, in music in, in a rich and in, uh, rewarding way.
0: One of the pieces that uh, you will be performing with the choir was actually written for you. Yes. Um, My Heart Be Brave yes. by... Um,
1: yeah, Marcus Garrett. Yeah. Marcus
0: Garrett. And it takes the first line of a poem by James Weldon Johnson. Yes. Talk a little bit about that. The, the marrying of text and, uh, and music and melody. Um, as we said, not every piece on the program is a traditional spiritual. When you, when you move away from those traditional texts, Where do you get your text from? Where do you get your words from?
1: Yeah, yeah, so I I asked Marcus, um, because it was for a program I was doing a few years ago to write something for me and I said explicitly that I did not want it to be based on a spiritual. Um, And Marcus has done a lot of research in in idiomatic and non-idiomatic black music. uh, So he understands it better than almost anybody in this country. Uh, And and so um, I wanted it to still be connected to the kind of the black experience but yet not so we turned to poetry we turned to the great poets of 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 uh, particularly the Harlem renaissance and, and and so on so we just kind of kept searching for the right piece and and when he sent it to me I was like yeah these are the this is the right text this kind of fits um, and and uh, you know from there i guess the the rest is history but it's it's a wonderfully it's it's a it's a luscious piece it's it's gorgeous it is um, heartfelt, um, and there's something still that is raw in it, but yet refined. So, you, you get a little bit of, of both, I, I think, um, in that particular piece. Do you have a...
0: This is a horrible question. <laughs> I
1: apologize.
0: It's okay. Do you have a favorite? <laughs> um, you've curated yeah. this, uh, this repertoire for the concert, um, and so I, I have to think that these are some of your favorites, or some of your favorites may be among them. Right. Are there particular ones that have a special place in your heart?
1: <clears throat> yeah, I, I think, um, My Lord, What a Morning, That the, the berle arrangement of that is, is just, it's just great. And when we think about, you know, My Lord, What a Morning, you know, when the stars begin to fall, and it's, it's Revelations eight ten, 10, and it is, it's the end of days, right? Mm. And so, if you think about the text. From the perspective of an enslaved person, the why, why on earth would you be wishing for the world to end? And it's because that's when you can be free. Right. Death equals freedom. So therefore, if the world ends, then I can actually have salvation. Um, the, and the way that Burleigh sets it is this incredibly gorgeous, you know, harmony. Right. It sets the melody. Gorgeous harmony. Um, that juxtaposed with with that, it kind of encapsulates, you know, the this 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 narrative of struggle, but also hope, you know, hopelessness, but yet I'm wishing for the end. It's just the complexity of it emotionally, I think, is 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 spot on. So I've always enjoyed that piece. It's one that I, I do quite often, um, and, and it's hopefully will be a highlight of of, of the program.
0: We talk about spirituals, but <clears throat> Some of these traditional songs were also what we now call work songs. Yep. What are the essential differences? I mean, is a, is a spiritual necessarily a work song? Is a work song necessarily a spiritual? Or a jubilee song or a yeah. sorrow song.
1: Right, right. So there's, the, the spiritual comes in several different flavors. I um, mean, you've mentioned, for instance, a jubilee or a sorrow song. Um, a, a spiritual can be a work song, and a work song can be a spiritual. But a spiritual could also just be a spiritual, and a work song could be a work song. So there is overlap between, between them. Um, if you look at work songs, they can be more secular. Um, right? And so the, the topics and what they're, what they're speaking about isn't necessarily sacred. That being said, um, we're singing one piece on the program that is a spiritual, that can also be a work song. <laughs> so it's, it's how it's being performed and how it's being presented uh, with it. So there is some overlap, there's some confusion around it. Where we get more clarity around the work song, spiritual you know, split is post-Civil War, right? When we had the, um, uh, during the Jim Crow era, and there was kind of the re-enslavement of the black population. Through um, legally, Uh, chain gangs were created, and that we have a lot of work songs, and that's where the blues start to 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 appear. Versus the spiritual goes another direction and heads us towards gospel. So there's a split.
0: What's that, Mr. Dorsey Yeah, exactly. In Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oftentimes, as from my limited knowledge, the spiritual could be sung as a work song but they would change the tempo up. Ex-
1: exactly, yeah. The, the tempo changes, right? The, the work songs definitely have a very specific tempo that is easy to work to. I mean, that's the, that's the kind of beauty of it, whereas this, the spiritual could be much slower. You know, it could be much more um, luxurious, right? Um, it also could be quick and up-tempo, you know? Um, so that it really depends on, on the particular spiritual, but yeah.
0: Well, let me say again, You are leading the Houston Chamber Choir in Ancestors Dream, Saturday, March 11th. That's tomorrow evening at 7.30 here.
1: Yes, here. In uh,
0: South Main Baptist Church. Uh, Thank you very much. Welcome. Your first time in Houston, your first time working with the choir. Anthony Treesick King, thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Before we go, let me tell you that the uh, With One Accord Behind the Music podcasts are made possible in part by a generous grant from the Silvercrest Asset Management Group and also the City of Houston through the Houston Arts Alliance. And we are grateful for their support, and we are grateful for your support. Thank you for making all that the Houston Chain Guide as possible. I'm Sinjin Flynn. Thank you very much for joining us.